Sorry, let's just pray for a moment. Father, thank you for just evidence and reminders of how you're at work drawing people to the sun. Lord, would you bless the folk involved in this work? Give them wisdom, give them grace, Lord, and understanding. Lord, and let your work prosper, Lord Jesus, that your name should be magnified, your Father should be glorified. Father, thank you. As we gather now, and will you gather with us? Lord, we know you have, and Lord, talk to our hearts that in your word we should encounter you again. Thank you. Amen. Um, I'm just going to do this and hope that the right thing happens. It seldom does. Uh, that'll do. Uh, folks, we got as far as chapter 7. We've been in the last day of the feast. No, we hadn't. We hadn't got to the last day. We got to the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus had spent six months, seven months, um, in Galilee. I had this effect on people. Um, so, uh, um, we got to... <laughs> so, Jesus had had seven months of solid itinerant ministry around Galilee. And all that time that Synoptists fill in with all those lovely stories and events and accounts of what he was saying and doing. And he comes down to Jerusalem secretly. Um, incognito and in the middle of the feast he stands forth and resumes a conversation with the multitude about what had happened seven months ago but this is the feast of tabernacles a time of great rejoicing it was the end of their religious calendar great rejoicing the rabbi said if you haven't been to one of these feasts you don't know what rejoicing is so it's a great high day high week that's where we were. It was the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, and, the, and they were commemorating the time, the 40 years in the wilderness, where God had led them and provided for them, miraculously. There was the pillar of cloud by night, and the pillar of fire by day. Have I got that the right way around? No, it's the other way around. It's the, but you understand, there was, there was manna given to them. There, even for their sin, they complained, and God blessed them and kept them. Um, today, we get to the last day of the feast, the eighth day, the day after, really. And it's thought that probably on that eighth day, the people were leaving the tents, because they all tipped out of their houses and lived in tents all up and down the street, all around Jerusalem. And they were going back to, on the eighth day, going home. So that's the scenario. Final point of background, it was just about six months before that last Passover when Jesus was offered. So we're getting very close. We had um, a discussion of that last time. Um, His hour was not yet come. So uh, one of the ceremonies... I mean, you know, the commentators will tell you this. One of the ceremonies was that every day a priest would lead a procession down to the pool of Siloam and he'd fill a golden pitcher with water and he'd, they'd carry it back and the cymbals going and the trumpets going and the people shouting and singing. They would sing, therefore with joy will we draw water from the wells of salvation. They would sing this and they'd come and they'd take the golden pitcher into the temple court by the altar and they'd pour it out and there'd be a wine libation as well so that was all going on they were bringing to mind 
the provision of God the wonderful way he had preserved them in the 40 years in the wilderness that was the scene Okay. now before we look at our chapter just a few verses in chapter 7 I'd like us to um, prime our minds can can we do that? if we go to Exodus chapter 17 um, they just got out God had just liberated the people from Egypt Um, And it didn't take them long to start whinging. Verse 1. All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord. And pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? To kill us? To kill me and my children and my cattle with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. So, uh, weeks, two months into the project he was facing a mutiny again uh, and verse 6 5 and the Lord said unto Moses go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river take in thine hand and go behold I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb I will, now we know that God doesn't sit, he doesn't stand, he doesn't have hands he doesn't have a nose um, but I will, it's called an anthropo something or other where we attribute to God things that men would do, he sort of condescends to be understood in our terms he was going to be there, he says I will stand on the rock in Horeb uh, and thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it from inside it is uh, literal apparently from inside it that the people may drink and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel let's just look at one more uh, Numbers 20 if we could go there and verse 11 and you'll understand why and Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beasts also Jesus in chapter 2 of John's gospel had um, declared himself to be the true temple destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up he declared himself to be in chapter 3 the true brazen serpent as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness I'm going to be lifted up Um, chapter 6 he was the true bread of heaven he was very very conscious that he was the embodiment of all the types of the national history was there any religious type was there anything 
it, it all talked about him and he was very very conscious of it and today he was going to stand forth and said I am the true rock we're going to see we've, we've, we looked at the rock that followed them 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the rock that followed them in the wilderness we've looked at the origin of that and where they went there was water because the rock followed them and so God provided their needs in the wilderness um, but Jesus was very very conscious that he was the embodiment of all those types and I thought it would be helpful if we just reminded ourselves that all of the scripture if it's about anything is about Jesus there's nothing else that he might be all and in all He's the fulfill did they have sacrifices they're all pointing forward to him did they have a temple it was all talking about him being on the earth the tabernacle it was all about him him God hath in these last days spoken unto us in his son um, and I thought look let's just see if I can find those verses that to remind us because it's thrilling uh, chapter 5 Jesus said this to the, the, if we look at our, we've been here but we'll look again just very briefly John chapter 5 he said this to the people if you listened to Moses you'd have listened to me because Ro- Moses not Roses Moses was writing not Roses was writing but Moses was writing about me didn't you realise that? the whole of the Bible is about him um He's not interested in the religious behavior of the Jews. He's not interested in the sacrifices. It says in Hebrews, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldst not. God was never interested in that. He was trying to tutor the people, teach them, point them to Jesus, who was coming to be Savior. And so Jesus says to them in chapter 5, 46, Had you believed Moses... If you'd actually listened to this Moses who you say you're hooked on, if you'd really believed him, you would have believed me. For he wrote concerning me. And if we look also in, uh, do you remember this? I love this one. At Luke 24. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? Isn't this lovely? Can you imagine the conversation? The disciples whinging, well, in despondent. And he said to them, we'll just cut straight in, oh fools. (laughs) It's lovely, isn't it? Oh fools. Uh, Actually, it's unwise. Unwise ones. Thank you, Duncan. This one. Jesus said to them, oh unwise ones, uh, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. The prophets weren't particularly interested in the rising and falling of this empire and that empire. All that the prophets had spoken, they were all speaking about Jesus. Here, oh, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Father has only ever really been doing one thing. He's been getting us, humanity, ready for the coming of the Saviour. You know that famous old quip, the heart of the human problem? 
is the problem of the human heart. And we have a verse in Paul, the, the time, when the time of rectification came. Putting it right. The Father's only been doing one thing, getting ready to put it right. There was a problem. There was the Jewish system, which it was never supposed to solve the problem. It was supposed to do a number of things. One, it was supposed to contain the problem, to discipline it so it didn't spread out. Two, the Jewish um, legislative and religious scene was precisely to reveal the problem. Paul says that the the law came so that sin might appear exceeding sinful. The holy thing that God gave them, they ruined. And it should have brought them to an understanding that, like Peter said to Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a a sinful man. Uh, The law was never a solution. We have that in Hebrews. And we're going to, I hope, today, consider the promise of the Father. He promised from the very beginning. He'd been promising. He said, it's coming. There's an answer. There's a promise coming. There's a new covenant coming. There's a new way of doing things. The whole whole world is going to be changed. You're going to be changed. It's coming. The promise of the Father. He promised it from the beginning. So, uh, that's the kind of... There we are. So Jesus was deeply, deeply conscious that all that was written for them was about him. It's so simple. We only have to think about one thing. Him! That's it. Uh, Everything. We just got to get on and obey. Get on and walk with him. Get on and carry our cross. We got to take up our cross daily. As he took up his cross daily. So the... Calvary cross was but the culmination of a daily cross. I do always the things that please the Father. I've come to do His will, not my will. He exemplified for us proper humanity. We live in a day when self-actualization is the big idea. That's what it's about. How can you be advanced? How can governments help you advance yourself? How can you be self-actualized? That's that's anti-human. Proper humanity is uh, an altar, a stone. I'm here to worship you, Father. Tell me what to do. I'm but a child in your hands. Just as Jesus lived. That is proper humanity. We've got it all reversed in the world, the spirit of the age. Okay, so if we go to this last day of the feast, well that's our little background. We've just got a few verses. So chapter 7... Um, verse 37 in the last day that great day of the feast Jesus who normally sat down to teach Jesus stood he stood up hey let me think uh, where do we hear that word this morning this afternoon Stand, I shall stand on the rock before you. Do, do with that what you like. Jesus, instead of sitting down as he usually did, he stood up and he cried. He interrupted the whole proceedings. He lifted up his voice and he shouted out and he must have interrupted whatever, whatever else was going on. They would have had 
those verses read to them each day during the week and, and singing these hymns therefore would I with joy draw water from the wells of salvation it was very much in their mind this, in this week of booths and here's what he said he stood up if any man thirst actually if any one thirst we could say is there somebody out there who's thirsty not a national um, following is there this one how rare is it for these people to have confessed to being thirsty and have faced it and said to themselves and then talked their, 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 themselves and their inner man and said I have spiritual need thirst is about spiritual need spiritual necessity easily stifled uh, I'll fill my life up with that. I got this hate, I got this need, I got this consciousness that things aren't right. But I'll just fill up my life with other stuff so that I don't feel it. I'll take pleasure in this and pleasure in that. I'll develop appetites which I can concentrate on satiating, or I can. I'll develop these ambitions. Where are the people who were being tutored of God? Remember in chapter uh, six, the ones who were taught of God and drawn to the Son, the ones who let Moses speak to them, the ones who let their consciences speak to them. We, you remember chapter five and verse six of Matthew. Jesus said quite simply, um, "Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness." It's not there for no reason. You'll be filled. The time's come for all that to be fulfilled. And Jesus stood up, and these people were dying of thirst. They remembered their forefathers dying of thirst. And he said, if anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I'm the rock. The true rock. That rock was just a parable. And everything about our lives is a parable. All the practical things are parables. That rock was a parable of me. If you thirst, come unto me and drink. That's faith. To come to him because of of a consciousness of our need, it's faith. And as we come, we drink. We receive from him. That's what happened to those guys. They drank material water, didn't they? And their material thirst was quenched. Jesus elevates the thing far beyond that in the next verse. Do you remember what he said? He that believeth in me, who's that? Well, these people who are coming to me and drinking, they're believing. Isn't that faith? To come to him, to drink from him. Of course, we think about chapter 4, don't we? The woman at the well. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it was that spake unto thee, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Um, what's the next thing he said? He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, uh, and, of course, there's nowhere it says that. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Um, so I think probably we ought to understand that. And the commentators sort of argue about this. This one seems really clear to me. Uh, to use 
to employ scriptural expressions. Come unto me and drink, and you people coming unto me and drink, you believers, to employ a scriptural expression, God standing on the Mount of Horeb, the water pouring out from inside the rock, in the Psalms we're told it's a torrent, is all the language of scripture about the rock that followed Israel. So I'm suggesting to you that, yes, it doesn't say anywhere that, and that we should understand it as to employ a scriptural expression. These verses that they were, A, very familiar with, B, had been probably read each day during the previous seven days of the feast. To employ a scriptural language, this person that's coming to me and drinking from me, this person who's thirsty and receiving um, living water for their inner man... Out, here's now here was something completely different. Out of his belly shall flow rivers, torrents, and that's another Old Testament verse, uh, term for what went on in Horeb. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now that was something quite on another level, quite apart from the original institution of the material water. They drank water, and their cattle drank water, and their thirst was slaked. <laughs> Jesus said, oh yeah. You will have your thirst slaked. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. But there's more. <laughs> Something on another level. That person will become himself a little rock. And out of their inner man, out of their belly, will flow torrent of living water you know we need to listen to Jesus and instead of and be careful not to explain it away and say oh that's just what the Lord said that's the theory but in practice it's like this and this and this no 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 we need to get on our knees and say oh God please will you change my practice into your theory well, not say, oh, that's just the religious, that's just what God says. It doesn't really work. No, 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 no. If He says it, we need to come in line with it. Alright? And if Jesus said that that is the measure of a believer, then we need to apply that measure to ourselves and get down on our knees until we know that something of what He said is true for us. That out of my belly flows rivers of living waters. That which comes from God flowing out of me. No, it doesn't have like that. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a that. I'm not being a good. Mate, we need to come to line with what Jesus said. We need to let him work in us and say, Father, I don't care what it costs, I must know you. We have that in Philippians. What things were gained to me, I count but loss, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What is it that's gained to you, brother, sister? Well, it's my life, I don't want to sort of relinquish control. You will never have his life flowing out of your belly if you don't give up control of your life. You've got to be like a little child. You've got to come to him like a little child. Say, Father, just tell me what to do. I trust you. I don't know anything. I haven't got a plan. Uh, So, for us, for me, for you, we need to come before the Lord with his word and say, Oh, Father, is this true of me? Is there that in my inner man which is of divine origin, which you put there 
Jesus said exactly this to the woman at the well. She was a Sumerian. Poor woman. Five husbands of the one that she was with wasn't even her husband. And he said to her, the water that I shall give you shall become in you a spring of water. Oh, hang on a minute. I, I just wanted a drink. Yeah, you might want a drink. But the water I give you will become in you a spring of water springing up. You'll become a source, woman, if you, if you get into this God thing. If you let God give himself to you. If we pay the price, say, Father, I relinquish everything else. Give me yourself. Uh, please, my dear ones, let you and me be ruled by what Jesus says about what a believer is and the nature of a believer's life. And come to him and bother him until we know that, Lord, what you say in there is true in here. And I know that what you talked about is practically the case for me. I'm not pretending that I'm perfect, but I need to know, Father, that what you talk about is really practically the case for me. That you, that I have received that which is divine, and that it's in me as a source, and it issues out. And the devil will say, oh, you've done this and that and the other. And you'll say, never mind about that. There is forgiveness for my failing. I know that the Father has actually implanted in me his life and it's flowing out of me. Um, Elsewhere, listen to someone else, and where we haven't started Jesus' religion, we haven't started to be a follower of Jesus. Forget everyone else, forget who who told you the other stuff, forget it. They're not interested. Let's not care about what they told us. Let's let Jesus do the telling. Is that a a, a fair way of approaching the things of God? To let Jesus do the telling? Oh, I know we can twist and so on, so on, so on. But let's not. Let's not twist his words. Let's listen. And let's study, labor to understand. Here. um, John qualifies this. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And I guess your mind goes forward to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Does it? 3,000 and, and 120 that were with them. The apostles and the 120 disciples that were with them on the day of Pentecost. When they received from God, immediately it started to issue from them. And there were 3,000 joined to Jesus on that day. Out of their belly was flowing with the river of living water. Um, and John qualifies this just for our benefit. But he, verse 39, he spake this, spake he concerning the Spirit, which they that believe on him, and the margin is, were about to receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet. The given, apparently, is a gloss. The Holy Ghost was not yet, for that Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Now we know this, don't we? That the Old Testament saints knew the influence of God the Holy Spirit. He would act upon them from without and often retire. Think of Samson, how the Spirit of God came on him. and That was not what's being talked about here. Jesus makes this explicitly clear. Have a look in John chapter 14. You, I think you know what I, where I'm going. Have a look in John chapter 14. He, he, say, he defines explicitly the difference. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, do something about it. Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he abideth with you. And it doesn't stop there. And shall be in you. Alright, Jesus made define very clearly the difference. So the Holy Ghost was abroad in the affairs of men in an external way. So the saints of old would come under the influence of the Holy Ghost temporarily, but here was something of an entirely different order. The Holy Ghost was not yet. Let me retake you on a little journey about this promise of the Father. Um, can we look in Acts chapter 2? Um, Peter had to give some explanation for the events that were transpiring in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And we'll just cut right down to the end. Verse 32 of chapter 2. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Remember, he spent 50 days with him. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received from the Father, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another cup. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he, Jesus, hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. There, it was impossible that the Holy Ghost could be poured out on all flesh. Remember Joel chapter 2? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It was impossible that the Holy Ghost could be poured out into the hearts of men and women until the issue of sin had been settled. Until death had lost its sting. Until the power of sin had been broken and brought to an end. Through the cross. So that you and I can have the judgment of God against sin in ourselves and come up the other side in resurrection of life. Um, this is Romans chapter 6, isn't it? That we're baptized into his death. It's the judgment we deserve. Sin, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But hallelujah for us, death has lost its sting. And Jesus, when he took the penalty and took it in himself, because he was perfect, because he was sinless, death couldn't hold him. And he was raised again so that we can share his resurrection life. But, and until that perfect humanity had been played out, 
and presented to the Father without flaw Jesus, an entirely flawless human being the Holy Ghost could not be given do you remember that they set an angel to guard the Father set an angel to guard the way into 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 paradise lest he said Adam and Eve get in there and eat of the tree of life now that sword and he had a, a fiery sword turning each way and now that sword is buried in Jesus so that we can access paradise again that we can come in the problem is this that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity you and I cannot enter into fellowship with him period, full stop he can't have it, it's an affront to his holiness so Jesus said to Nicodemus Nicodemus, if you don't receive the baptism of water from John the washing away of your sin be born of water and the spirit you can't get into the kingdom of God there had to be the cleansing before the regeneration uh, but Jesus has done the work for us he's lived out his perfect humanity which he can present to the Father and you read in, in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should have boldness now to enter into what? the presence of God are you kidding me? the, the, the Israelites would have run a mile they said to Moses don't you tell, you listen to God and talk to us we're too frightened we don't want to go near the mountain you remember that one? they said you, you talk to God for us and tell him anyone that went near the mountain anyone that touched it was to be um, was to be killed they would die um, we, can't, we can't mix it with God and yet he desires that we should come into fellowship with him how do we reconcile this uh, we need to be cleansed by an effective sacrifice again Hebrews 10 uh, and receive his life so that we can come in how do we get in there in his flesh the veil is his flesh in his flesh we've got to make one with Jesus I know it sounds um, somewhat technical but it's actually very very practical Uh, the the spirit that actuates us that actuated us must come to an end and he has made a way finally to deal with the heart of the human problem the problem of the human heart he promised it from the beginning he promised it he talked about the, the serpent and her seed would bruise the serpent's head let's have a look though and you, you, we've talked about Joel haven't we that I'll pour up my spirit in all flesh let's be more specific um, have a look at Jeremiah 31 I hope it will make your eyes pop out of your head um, well um, that could be uncomfortable Look at this. Now, this is quoted in Hebrews, isn't it? But we're just going back to this bit. Where shall we cut in from? Whoops. At the end, 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will cut 
a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, a new covenant with the house of Israel. They were in covenant, which my covenant they break. I will cut a new covenant, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Endemic sin. Old Adam cannot be reformed. After those days, but this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, the promise of the Father, this is the promise he received of the Father. This is what he was working up towards. This is the time of rectification. Uh, After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Now they had the law on tablets of stone in a box in the Holy of Holies where nobody could go. The priest, twice on one day a year. The high priest. That's, that was the law. That was the extent of it. It was external to them. It was against their nature. God's nature, contrary to their nature. The law was an expression of his being. It was against their nature. They couldn't keep it. They constantly failed. I seem to remember living like that for years. It was against my nature. It's a promise, a new covenant. I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it in their heart so that it becomes their nature. Is that how you should read that? So that we become not what we were before. We become someone new, someone different. We're still us, but we're renewed us. Not as, not as we'd ever been before or could ever make ourselves. Let's just read it. I put my law in their inward parts. I write it in their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbour saying, and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. But then you love it when people sort of appoint themselves as instructors and say, Well, God's saying this to you. No, no. They'll each know me from the least to the greatest. The new covenant, where to walk in fellowship with him. Uh, Hallelujah. I'll forgive their iniquity. Remember their sin, no more. Have a quick look, please, at Ezekiel 36, which is equally eye-popping. Here's the, this is the promise of the Father. Ezekiel 36. Verse... Should we cut it at 25? Then will I... He's gathering them in from among the heathen. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. What? Is, there, is it possible that I can have a different spirit? Instead of this old Adam that cannot, will not bow the knee, you can give me, you know. I remember as a boy being so, I came across some people who were Christians. Um, and I'd been brought up in a kind of religious Christian home. And it, the Lord done a good job. It just made me realize that I was a wrong one. I was just conscious of sin, rebellion. And I met some Christians who were real Christians. I think I may have said this to you before. They were the real thing. They appeared to me, I was 14, 15, 15. 
uh, they appeared to me to be all that these other guys were talking about they were being and when I got in their presence I knew I was in trouble and I, I remember my response was these people are clean, they're holy, they love God I don't want to be like that I love my life but I was fly. I knew, I knew in my inner man but God, I prayed if I don't get like them I'm lost will you change me so that I want to be clean um, and you know, the Lord is very kind he, he, he takes us he meets us where we are uh, so when we come into contact with that, those things that are holy we become, it becomes very obvious to us that we're not and what we are and as, as the intensity of my conviction began to grow I became more and more aware of my own rebellion and how much I was an enemy and I became overburdened with a sense that I was God's enemy I hated him when I didn't want to and it's that precise alteration that he promises to make that the heart of the human problem the problem of the human heart can be solved I'll put a new spirit in you I'll give you a new clean heart and when God met me I remember walking through that room um, I was a prefect at the time it was a couple of years later and I knew that I was on his side I knew that all his promises were yea and amen for the first time in my life I felt that God was my father and that I was accepted of him now I don't want to talk about me I just want to illustrate the, the, the fact and the difference that when God does what he says he does he does what he says he does he, there is a new spirit and that old rebellion and that old implacability that we couldn't escape he solves the problem and that's why I'm preaching today that's why I've opened my mouth um, ever since the Lord met me um, freely you've received, freely give and it's our duty to let that which he gives us flow out and let it be known and encourage one another and our brethren and those who aren't among us yet encourage them that God has a promise he has promised to do good he's promised to bless us he's promised a new covenant he has sent forth this said Peter which you now see in here and it, it hadn't happened in chapter 7 Jesus was speaking predictively for the day of Pentecost they were about to receive the Holy Ghost um, and let's not drop God's standards to make it um, applicable to every man and his dog oh that's too hard for them let's be faithful to Jesus and say this is the work of Jesus let us be worked on by the work of Jesus let us have our lives changed to come into line with his mind not the other way around well that's not how I live so it can't be right that's not, it's not my experience so I'm not going to talk about that no, no Lord, let us understand what your mind is and please, oh God, give us grace that our experience should come into line with that save us, Father um, and do you know what? we meet our friend Nicodemus old night time Nicodemus he's mentioned three times in the New Testament and each time it's the, the fact of his nighttime visit is mentioned so I like to think of him as nighttime Nicodemus uh, have a look and we'll just finish this off um, 
Because do you remember, he was an old man, he was a Pharisee. Well, probably we're going to apply that phrase to him, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. An old man, a, a Hebrew, member of the Sanhedrin. And he came secretly to Jesus. You know, perhaps he was a bit unsure about breaking with the Pharisees' party. Perhaps he was a bit frightened that he came at night. And he took it on the chin from Jesus. This young, ignorant bloke from up there in Whoop Galilee, where they were uneducated and they talked funny. He hadn't been to many of the rabbinical schools, and this ruler of Israel, this Pharisee, this Hebrew of the Hebrews, took it on the chin from Jesus. He, Nicodemus, would have thought, well, I am eligible to be enter into the kingdom of God just because I am who I am. I'm educated, and I'm a Pharisee, and I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm all right. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, old chap, except a man is born of water, this water baptism that you're rejecting, and the Spirit, he won't get into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus wonderfully opened to him the most precious things that had never been heard before about uh, the love of God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He talked about the brazen serpent and forgiveness coming. And and then we don't hear any more about him until a year and a half later. Here he is. Do you think he's made some progress? This bloke who was too frightened, apparently, to stick his neck out, he stands up and he resists all of them. And he says, let's just be reasonable. Shall we read it? It's nice. Many of the people, therefore, verse 40, when they had heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet... Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David? And so on and so on. And there was a division among the people because of him, as always. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers, they'd been sent out to get him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said unto them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? We're the ones that you should be listening to. But this multitude, this ignorant mob, they hated them. They, the, the Jews thought that if you weren't educated, you were off scouring. You, you couldn't get into the kingdom of God because they were a multitude. But we are so versed in the scriptures and the, the rabbinical schools and this and this and that and the Torah. We know that was, their, that was the meaning of that. That this multitude who knoweth not the law, well, poor ignorant people, they're not what it is like us, they're cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, bracket, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth, do you think he's made some progress? Our friend, sounds to me as if he has. He'd gone from being, he's, he was standing up to all of them and giving them a check. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house. Oh Lord. Uh, there could be no Holy Ghost given 
until the issue of sin was settled. And we can receive the judgment of sin in ourselves and come through the other side in resurrection life. Uh, Jesus made the way so that we can be baptized into his death as we're baptized into his death we can be of his resurrection so the God couldn't give the Holy Ghost to the Adamic nature there had to be a mechanism for the Adamic nature to be dealt with that rebelliousness against God that hatred of God to be dealt with and expurgated from the human soul before God could impart himself but just to take a step back what disproportion is this that the creator of the universe the, the God of heaven should so work to gain your fellowship and my fellowship what is this that the eternal one the holy one of Israel God who is love should so work should so act to reach down and make it possible for you and for me to be brought into fellowship and so now in Hebrews 10 I'll close with it now in Hebrews 10 we don't have to run and hide anymore although he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity we have to come into his presence cleansed with a new spirit and a new heart with the law that rules his being written in our heart and ruling our being am I misreading something there? is that not exactly how we should understand those things? Um, interesting Uh, let's just have a quick look in Hebrews 10 verse 19 having therefore brethren boldness or confidence to enter into the holies by the blood of Jesus his poured out life his humanity poured out it was enough perfect humanity what Adam should have become and never became Jesus was the perfect man and his blood was poured out his humanity poured out as a sacrifice for all he took the sting of death so that for us death has lost its sting and we can go into it and receive the judgment that old Adam deserved and not perish but come up the other side in resurrection life and now cleansed renewed with a new nature loving God for the first time in our experience enter into his presence and live with him there is what it was all about in the first place it's what the promise is all about that we should be brought into fellowship with God oh George Fox talked about being godded with God Let us therefore enter into the, uh, have, it, have a boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a newly slain and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil. What was the veil? That is to say, His flesh. Now you remember what happened to the veil, this thing that kept man away from God. It was the preservation of man. They, we couldn't approach His glory it would slay us so there was a heavy veil that, uh, the, that hung in front of God's presence in the ark look these guys had lost the ark long ago the Shekinah glory had disappeared but they kept the form and that veil 
What happened to it at the cross? As Jesus gave up the ghost, the veil was rent. Apparently they stitched it back up. That's very practical, isn't it? Um, the veil was rent. Um, it wasn't removed, by the way. We, uh, we've got to come in the flesh of Jesus. We've got to eat his flesh. We've got to be in his flesh. We've got to come into the, into the holiest in Jesus. He's not removed. They're what we used to sing here, no more veil. Well, the veil's still there, but we come in, in the veil. But the important thing is that we enter into his presence, something that mankind could never, ever, 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 ever do before. He perished, died. Having, by a new and living way, through the veil, let us say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, so that when we come to him, we're no longer a big accused by our hearts, saying, you're not right, you are a wrong being. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Here, have a look. Earlier, talked about in, in uh, chapter uh, chapter ten, verse two. For then would they not have ceased to be offered in verse three. In those sacrifices, a remembrance of sin. Every year, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Verse 2, they can't make the comers thereunto perfect. Anyway. But he does. He takes away the conscience of sin. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let's have boldness. Let's live with it. Let's dwell in this presence. It's what it's all about. It's what the promises is about. It's what God's work on earth has been all about. It's what the whole picture is all about. That Jesus has come to solve the problem. This is the time of rectification so that we should abide in Christ. That we should abide in God and God should abide in us. We should walk in fellowship. It's impossible. It sounds ludicrous. But it's the only thing in the world that matters. Everything else is secondary to that. Everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. His rule, his presence, his authority. And the other stuff will sort itself out. He will add it to us. 